Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast is sponsored by Raycon. I want to thank Raycon, the makers of wireless earbuds, for their support of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds, uh, but you can get them for an additional 15% off if you order at buyraycon.com slash gold. Well, it took a while, or actually not that long, but the S&P 500 finally recouped all of its COVID crash losses. We actually closed today at a new all-time record high, S&P 500 at 33.89 spot 78. We got as high as 33.9506. That's also, I believe, an intraday high. The NASDAQ continued uh, to hit uh, another record, up again, another 81 or so today. We closed at 11,210. The Dow Jones, though, did not finish uh, positive. It was down 66.84 uh, on the day. But, of course, it's the speculative stocks in the NASDAQ that are leading the charge. Look at Tesla up again today. You know, Tesla's been on a tear ever since it announced a stock split. Now, of course, there is nothing fundamentally bullish about a stock split. And in fact, today, with commissions being zero, it really doesn't matter how many shares of stock you're trading. I mean, way back when, uh, when you had higher commissions and odd lots cost more than a round lot, and when a stock kind of got more expensive, they would split it. There was at least some rationale to reduce trading costs. But there is no rationale today to split a stock. I mean, hell, you could buy one share of stock. What difference does it make? Uh, but it's all psychological. And when you've got a speculative mania, when you've got a bubble, uh, when you've got people buying on Robin Hood, what the hell do they know? All they know is, hey, the price of the stock is lower. I want to buy it. They don't realize that the price is lower because there are more shares outstanding. 
It doesn't change anything about the market cap. A stock doesn't get cheaper just because you issue additional shares and lower the price. It's all an illusion. It's a trick, but it's amazing how many people fall for the trick. Uh, So uh, Tesla keeps going up. The market cap on Tesla is now $340 billion. To put that in perspective, Toyota, which used to be the world's most valuable automobile company, has a market cap of about $220 billion. So Tesla, which doesn't even make a profit, is worth better than 50% more than the most profitable, largest uh, automobile company on the planet, right? That has showrooms, dealerships all over the world. I mean, think about all these cars that Toyota makes, right? How many more Toyotas do you see on the road than Teslas? Uh, Yet Tesla is worth 50% more than Toyota. This is really the mother of all short squeezes. I mean, I really got to hand it to the shorts that have the balls to stay short this stock. I mean, it's got to be one of the most painful trades out there. Although I'm pretty sure that the people who are short Tesla know that if they wait it out, they are going to make money because the losses are going to ultimately hit the people who are dumb enough to buy into Tesla. Now, I know they look real smart now. I mean, a lot of fools can look like geniuses when the air is going into the bubble. It's when the air comes out of the bubble that they get exposed. You know, talking about uh, fools uh, and bubbles, look at uh, Robinhood. Now they're talking about an IPO for the Robinhood trading app. You know, this is where the the millennials, you know, with their leader, uh, Portnoy, uh, are, you know, just basically grabbing uh, Scrabble uh, uh, tiles out of a bag and just buying whatever stocks have those symbols because they can't lose, right? Now they're talking about an IPO for Robinhood and $11 billion, I think, is what I heard of the valuation. You know, the people who are ultimately getting robbed on Robinhood are their customers, right? You're robbing from the poor and you're giving to the rich. You know, what a lot of Robinhood investors probably don't appreciate is at some point, a lot of these uh, traders on Robinhood who are going to lose a lot of money, eventually they will, they're all going to sue. You know, it is very easy to sue your broker. And believe me, there's going to be all sorts of lawyers for FINRA arbitrations once, uh, you know, these guys get wiped out. Now, I know a lot of people probably think, well, you know, these are all unsolicited trades, so they're not going to get sued. Uh Uh-uh. They're not going to get off that easy. You know, it's kind of like you go into a bar and you're drunk, but then the bartender keeps serving you. Now, yes, you're ordering the drinks, But at some point, the bartender has to exercise some judgment and discretion and like, hey, buddy, you've had too much to drink. I'm cutting you off. But if you if you keep giving drinks to somebody who's obviously intoxicated, especially if they, you know, they got their car keys in their hand and then they ask you for, you know, a six pack for the road and then you give it to them and they go on the road and, you know, they kill somebody or whatever. You know, you're going to get sued uh, for being reckless and irresponsible. So I think what's going to happen is a lot of these young, inexperienced uh, millennials who end up losing a lot of money uh, gambling in overpriced stocks are going to say, hey, wait a minute, you never should have provided this platform. You didn't vet your customers enough. You you, you know, you should have been able to monitor these accounts. You owed some uh, duty of care to your customers. And look, it's going to be a nightmare. There's going to be all sorts of, of litigation. It's going to, you know, it's going to bury uh, Robin Hood in, in legal bills. So, you know, 
they might be able to get this IPO off, you know, if they if they if they you know rush it out. Uh, but it's going to be a disaster ultimately. I think this thing is going to crash and burn. Uh, and uh, you know, so the question is, who's going to lose more, Robinhood customers or Robinhood uh, shareholders? But we know the ones that are going to make money, and those are the insiders that are going to be cashing out as the public is, uh, you know, buying these stocks and putting their cash in. But what I want to really focus on today is not the noise going on in the stock market bubble, but what's actually happening with gold stocks and with gold. You know, my last podcast that I recorded on Saturday was about the surprise announcement after the market closed, the filing by Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company, uh, that they had taken a position uh, in Barrick Gold which is big, big news. I mean, I think this story is being significantly downplayed or ignored by the financial media. I mean, I I get that, yeah, it's not going to be a major story, you know, on CBS Nightly News. I mean, why would they even talk about it? But when you'd have uh, networks like CNBC, for example, that spend the entire day covering the financial markets and the stock market to really, you know, ignore a story like this. And again, I'm not saying that CNBC didn't mention it. They did mention it. I mean, I watched the network uh, pretty much the entire day. And several times, I don't remember how many times, three or four times, they talked about the fact that Warren Buffett bought Barrick Gold. But that was really it. I mean, they didn't really delve into any of the significant questions Uh, that this acquisition should raise. Very, very disturbing questions. I mean, it should have really been a big story. I mean, not only is it the story of the day or was it the story of the day, I think it's the story of the week, the story of the year, maybe the story of the decade. I think it is a big, big story that deserves a lot more attention. In fact, they should have spent the entire day on this topic, you know, and, 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 and what it really means. And, you know, by the way, before I forget, you know, I know there were some people that were kind of uh, saying that my headline was bad, right? Because my headline on my last podcast was Buffett buys Barrett Gold, sells uh, banks. And somebody said, hey, you're wrong. You know, he bought he bought more Bank of America, which he did, right? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway added to its position in uh, Bank of America. But Berkshire sold its position or sold down J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, PNC. So yes, they added to one bank, but they sold shares of a lot of other banks. So overall, Berkshire Hathaway sold down its position in banks. So my headline was accurate. Buffett sold banks. He didn't get out of banks completely, but he sold bank stocks. And what he did with the money is he bought Barrick Gold. So he sold banks and he bought Barrick Gold. So he basically reduced his bets on banks and made a brand new bet on gold, which is in effect a bet against the U.S., against the dollar, uh, pro-gold. And by the way, the price of gold today surging back above $2,000 an ounce. You know, we got above $2,000 an ounce um, not too long ago. What was a week, two weeks ago? We got up to like 2070. And then we crashed all the way back down uh, to like 1860-ish or something like that. And now we're back up. The highest I saw today was about 2016-ish. Then we sold off. We got back down below 2,000. As I'm recording this podcast, 
we are just barely back above 2000, about 2001 on the price of gold, but we are back above it. And the technicals look extremely bullish on gold. And in fact, we had a big update yesterday. That was the first time anybody had an opportunity to react. As I said on my podcast, I thought we would have a big update in gold and gold stocks on Monday. We did have a big update. Gold was up big. Gold stocks were up more. I think the GDX and GDXJ were up about 6% on Monday. Uh, Barrick Gold in particular was up over 11%. So anybody who sold it after hours on Friday when it was up 6 to 8%, you know, they made a mistake. But they, they should have held on because it had a bigger gain. And in fact, Barrick Gold went on this morning to make a new all-time high. Uh, but ended up closing, not all-time high, rather, a new high on the year. Nowhere close to a record high, but a new 52-week high. But we ended up closing down on the day slightly. In fact, gold stocks in general were down despite a near $20 rise in the price of gold. And it was a pretty volatile day uh, during the day. GDX was down about uh, 0.7%, and GDXJ was down 1.36%. But the dollar index got smoked You know, the dollar index was down yesterday, down again today. We closed at 92 spot 29. And in fact, at one point today, we were very close to taking out 92. I think we got down to about 92.10. Again, this is a new low since May of 2018. And I have been reading a lot of articles that have been bullish the dollar. Oh, the dollar is due for a bounce. The dollar is oversold. Too many people are short the dollar. And, you know, I like reading these articles from a contrarian point of view. I'm short the dollar. And so when I see that there's a lot of people that think the dollar is going to rise, that just makes me more confident that my position is correct. And, you know, to say that the dollar trade is crowded, look, you know, I can't think of a more crowded trade than the people who own the dollar. The dollar is the most over-owned currency on the planet, right? It's the reserve currency. Everybody owns dollars. They own way more dollars than they need. And they own lots of dollar-denominated bonds. And so everybody is going to be rushing to get out of the dollar. So this is just the beginning of what is going to be a tidal wave of dollar selling. You know, I'm describing it, or I did on my Twitter account, as a slow bleed right now. And that's what it is. It is a slow bleed. I think that once the dollar index cracks the low from January of 2018, which is around 88 and change. So I think once you see the dollar index with an 87 handle, I think a whole new wound is going to open up. And I think you're going to start to see the blood really gushing out at, you know, at a more rapid pace. But the real key is going to be when we take out the March 2008 low which was just above 70-ish on the dollar index. So you see dollar index sub 70, you see like a 69 handle on the dollar index. I think that's when the dollar is about to bleed out. That's when it's going to die. That's when we're going to have the real come to Jesus uh, potential hyperinflation or, or Fed is going to have to uh, you know do the unthinkable. Uh, that's coming. I mean, that could happen as soon as next year. I mean, this crisis is rapidly approaching. And, you know, this is, again, is going to be nothing like anything we've ever experienced. I mean, there's been countries in the world that have experienced this, but just not on the scale. I mean, there's smaller countries in Latin America that have experienced what we're going to experience, but nothing like this has been experienced on the scale. I mean, the the loss of wealth 
that is going to happen in America is unprecedented in the world. The world has never experienced anything like what is about to happen in the United States. The, the loss of wealth is going to be massive. The number of people who are going to be affected and the amount of wealth that they're going to lose as the dollar collapses is just going to be something that you know there is without precedent globally. And people have to understand that all these other uh, 08 crisis or what we've seen so far in COVID, this is nothing compared to what to what's coming. And people have to be uh, prepared for that. Oh, by the way, too, I meant to mention the Las Vegas Money Show, which was supposed to be in May and which was postponed due to COVID. It was canceled and it was rescheduled as a virtual event. So first they, they canceled it or they postponed it to the summer and then they canceled it altogether and they made it virtual. And so I did my keynote address today, this morning at moneyshow.com. So you can see it. It was about a half hour talk. If you want to listen to my talk, go to moneyshow.com and register. It's free. But more important, because, I mean, if my talk is my standard talk. I mean, so if you're listening to my podcast, I mean, you can listen to that talk. It's good. But, it, you know, you're not going to hear anything you haven't heard. But what is going to be very interesting is my debate tomorrow with Stephen Moore. And that debate is going to be live, I think, at 5 o'clock Eastern time. So if you sign up later tonight or early tomorrow morning for The Money Show, you can watch live the Steve Moore debate. And of course, Steve Moore and I are friends, uh, but Steve, you know, who was with the Wall Street Journal as a conservative, he was, you know, up for consideration for the Fed, right? Donald Trump was talking about nominating him along with the late Herman Cain uh, to the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, but he ended up stepping down or withdrawing his nomination. But he's been a big Trump supporter. This is where Stephen and I have really varied uh, paths recently. Uh, he's a big Trump supporter, thinks the economy is great, thinks Trump's done a great job. I think Trump's done a lousy job. I mean, I think he's not as lousy a job as Hillary Clinton would have done, but not the type of job that people had hoped he would have done. He's not a, a Reagan Republican, a small government guy, a libertarian. Uh, he's a rhino. I think the economy is a disaster. The economy is a bubble. I think all this nonsense that Stephen Moore has been touting about how great everything was and, and uh, under Trump, I think it's all wrong. So we're going to debate the Trump economy, the Trump record uh, tomorrow, five o'clock. So sign up. It should be a very interesting debate. This will be the first time I've actually had a debate with Stephen Moore because normally we don't have much to debate because normally we agree. So we now have something that we, 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 we no longer agree on. And, you know, a lot of uh, Republicans have converted over to the dark side as a result of Donald Trump. You know, I went over it on my last podcast, how Larry Kudlow, who's a good friend of Stephen Moore's, you know, uh, he, the two of them and Art Laffer are like three peas in a pod. Uh, but, you know, even um, Larry Kudlow, who used to believe in free market capitalism, as I pointed out on Saturday's podcast, now believes that central government planning and socialism is the best path to prosperity, not free market capitalism. So Donald Trump has converted a lot of these free market guys over to statism. And the thing is, he didn't convert me. You know, I'm still steadfast to my principles. So uh, make sure and sign up so you can uh, listen to that debate. But let me get back to what I was talking about, about Warren Buffett. And so I started talking about the dollar. Buffett's move into gold is a big bet against the dollar. And that bet is already paying off 
based on how much value the dollar has lost in just the last two days. But of course, Buffett has been buying gold or Barrick gold for a lot longer because he probably he's been buying it all Q2. So we have no idea how early he started buying Barrick. And we have no idea how much more Barrick he's bought after the end of June. And we have no idea if he's bought other gold stocks or if he's bought some physical gold. But what I really wanted to discuss on today's podcast is not the fact that Buffett did this. I already went over that on Saturday's podcast. But the lack of coverage in the financial media regarding just how significant this is, right? Because first of all, this is not like Peter Schiff buying gold stocks, right? I've been buying gold stocks for forever, right? I've been telling people to buy gold stocks. So if I say buy gold stocks, okay, right, yeah, what, what else is new? But Warren Buffett has never been advocating that anybody buy a gold stock. In fact, he when he's been asked about gold, he's kind of dismissed it as a non-producing asset. And he's always been saying, look, if you're worried about inflation, just buy equities, buy businesses. And by the way, I posted a very, very good um, short video clip of Warren Buffett from last year at a conference in Europe somewhere. Um, and I put it up on Twitter and on my Instagram account. By the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, follow me. I still don't even have 50,000 followers. I got about 45,500 followers. Twitter, Twitter, I'm up to over 285,000. So I got a lot of people on Twitter, not as many people on Instagram, although I just started. But I put this video up on Instagram. But it's a great little clip of Warren Buffett saying that inflation is a tax. Exactly what I've been saying. He said it's a cruel tax on people who put their faith in paper money, who put their faith in governments and central banks. And he also said that inflation is a tax that not one in a million people understand, which is true. Most people are confused about what inflation is, and that is deliberate. It's governments and central banks that deliberately confuse people. They don't want people knowing what inflation is. They don't want them understanding it's a tax. They don't want them understanding that it's government that imposes it. They want them thinking inflation is rising prices. But if you watch this clip, it's clear that Warren Buffett knows that inflation is not rising prices. In fact, he talked about the fact that over his lifetime, the U.S. dollar has lost 94% of its value. He brought that up to talk about inflation. So he knows that inflation is the expansion of the money supply and that it causes money to lose value. That's what's happening. That's why prices go up, because when money loses value, you need more money to buy stuff. Now, what Warren Buffett has always said is the best hedge against inflation is buying a good business, buying a good company that can raise prices. But that's probably true when the inflation is manageable, when it's small, maybe a few percent a year. But when you're about to have massive inflation, a much higher degree of inflation, that's what I think causes Warren Buffett to decide that now it's time to hedge the old-fashioned way. I just can't buy businesses, especially when they're overpriced. I got to buy a gold business. I got to get into physical gold. And remember, too, people are saying, oh, he's not buying physical gold. He's buying a gold stock. Well, Barrick has massive gold reserves. Buffett is buying the inventory of gold, the reserves that are still in the ground that Barrick hasn't dug up and sold. So when you buy a gold company, you're buying the gold that that company owns. It's just in the ground. They just haven't brought it up above ground yet. So Buffett is deciding 
that since inflation is about to get much, much worse in the future than it's been in the past, given how bad inflation is going to be, that now it's not just buying a business that he needs. He needs to buy a gold business. He needs to buy a business that's selling inflation hedges because he knows that people are going to be making a dash to get out of U.S. currency and not just U.S. dollars, probably euros and yen and all kinds of currencies. And people are going to be buying gold. And so Warren Buffett wants to sell it to him. Right. And he has a lot of businesses. He sells Coca-Cola. You know, he sells shaving cream and razor blades. Right. He wants to sell people products that they need. Well, he knows that one product people are going to need is gold. They're going to need to buy gold bars. They're going to need to buy gold coins because they're going to need to protect their purchasing power from the inflation tax. And Warren Buffett knows the inflation tax is about to get much, much higher. And, you know, contrary to a lot of his public proclamations that he wants to pay higher taxes, he clearly doesn't want to pay the higher inflation tax because he wants to avoid it. And the way you avoid the inflation tax is you get out of the currency that's being inflated, the dollar, and you buy something like gold or a gold stock. But what was really missing from the CNBC coverage of this whole story is kind of trying to figure out what what this means, right? Hey, Warren Buffett, right? The Oracle of Omaha, bullish on America, been dismissive of gold and people who invest in it. All of a sudden, out of the blue, he makes this investment in gold stocks. Now, a lot of people, again, they want to dismiss it. It's not a lot of money. Well, how do you know what his intention is? I mean, every journey starts with its first step. So he is starting to buy gold stocks. What makes anybody think that he's finished? So rather than waiting for Buffett to finish buying gold stocks, why don't they start focusing on why he started buying gold stocks? Now, you know, normally Warren Buffett does a lot of interviews, right? I mean, Warren Buffett loves talking to the financial media, especially some of the uh, uh, attractive women that tend to interview him. Uh, on on these uh, on these networks, so he loves to be interviewed, and 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 uh, and and they love interviewing him. I mean, he's uh, the big interview. There wasn't a single interview of Warren Buffett yesterday or today. Nobody had Buffett on to ask him, uh, "Hey, Buffett, you know what's going on uh, with Barrett Gold? Why are you buying that?" Now, personally, I don't think the media wants Buffett coming on the financial media because they don't want their audience to know why Warren's buying gold. Because it's, you know, it's, it'll scare the hell out of them. <laughs> and I don't think Buffett wants to come out and tell people why he's buying gold because he's not done buying. So he, he doesn't want to try to get a lot of other people to buy the same stocks that he's buying. Uh, so I think he's happy for the media to kind of leave this story alone so it kind of fades away so he can keep on buying gold stocks and get better prices. Because obviously, I think he has a lot of money that he wants to protect and he wants to move it into these uh, into these gold stocks. But really, what the financial media should be asking uh, the questions, why is Warren Buffett buying gold stock? Why now? What's changed? What does this imply or what does this portend for inflation, for the bond market, for the dollar, for the U.S. economy? Right. I mean, there are a lot of questions that are raised by by what Warren Buffett is doing. I mean, there should have been one guest after another just talking about this decision on the part of Berkshire Hathaway and what this means. And, and, and is this a bad sign? And should other people 
be following Warren Buffett's lead? Should everybody be adding gold stocks to their portfolio like Berkshire Hathaway? I know some people want to say, oh, well, maybe this is an example of like, this is the end, right? This is a contrarian indicator, right? Now that Buffett has capitulated, he's bought the top, the bull market is over. We got Warren Buffett in and now it's over. Look, Warren Buffett is not the dumb money that's late to the party. Warren Buffett is still the smart money. And very few institutions have bought gold stocks. You've got a couple of hedge funds or a few hedge funds. Now you've got Berkshire Hathaway. The, the, the funds that are buying, the big money that is buying gold is in the tiny minority. Buffett is not late by any stretch. Is he the first one to arrive? No, right? He's not me. I mean, I didn't even arrive at the party. I started the party, right? I planned the party and I sent out the invitations. And for a long time, I was there all by myself. Nobody was showing up at my party. And then gradually, you know, a couple of people showed up and now Warren Buffett comes in. But the place is still mostly empty. I don't even think any girls are here yet. Just a few of us guys hanging out, having some drinks, waiting for the girls to show up. So it really isn't much of a party yet. So to think that Warren Buffett is uh, is a contrarian indicator, not even close, right? He is the smart money. Now, have I criticized Buffett in the past? Yes, not for being a bad investor. I've disagreed with his assessment of gold because he's always compared gold to stocks, uh, real estate, bonds. And I said, that was a flawed comparison. You don't compare gold to an income producing asset. You compare gold to dollars or euros or yen. And in that comparison, gold comes out on top. Gold is better money uh, than those currencies. But yes, I mean, you don't get rich owning gold. Gold doesn't produce anything. Now, a gold mining company, that's a different story, right? That is a business. They're in the business of mining and selling gold. Uh, but I've always had a lot of respect for Warren Buffett. That hasn't changed as an investor. He's a smart guy. Uh, he knows a lot about uh, value and, and how to pick stocks. He's a good stock picker. I, I think that he picked a good stock in Barrick. I mean, Barrick is one of our largest holdings. I think it's the fourth largest holding in my gold fund. And I own it uh, in my dividend payers fund and my value fund. And I own a lot of Barrick personally. We, You know, it's a good company. So I think his analysts, you know, if you're looking for a large cap gold stock that you can move into, uh, then I think Barrick is a good choice that Buffett has made. Where I've criticized Buffett is on his politics and on his hypocrisy for talking about the fact that he wants to pay higher taxes, but then going out of his way to, to earn his income and capital gains uh, as opposed to salary. Uh, so he minimizes his taxes. So I've called him out on his political hypocrisy, you know, of advocating for higher taxes and more government. Uh, but I have never said that he wasn't a smart guy when it comes to value investing and reading a balance sheet. I mean, obviously he is. I mean, he didn't become the richest man in the world, although he's not the richest man in the world uh, anymore, but he was at one time. And, you know, he, he probably will be again. Who knows? Uh, right now, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Elon Musk will, will make it. You know, he's he's now number four, I think. He's at $85 billion, right? Musk, Musk has gained like uh, $57 billion so far this year to get a net worth of 85 billion. I think he just passed Zuckerberg for number four, but uh, Bezos is number one, even though he gave McKenzie like 50 billion, even without that money, he's still the richest man in the world. Um, but Buffett didn't make his fortune 
in investing by not being a smart investor. He is a smart investor, and I've never uh, said that he wasn't. So people are accusing me of, oh, you like him now because he's buying gold. I've been very consistent on uh, when I've criticized Warren Buffett and and when and and when I've praised him. But the the key difference is the people on CNBC they love Warren Buffett. They idolize Warren Buffett. Okay, now Warren Buffett's buying a gold stock. Hello. That is that is big news. You know, Mr. Bullish on America, Mr. Never Bet Against America, just made a bet against America. Now you could say, well, it's a small bet. Maybe it's a hedge. Okay, but he wasn't hedging before. He didn't have anything on the don't pass line before. He had it all out on numbers, all on the table. He didn't care. He was rolling those dice. Why did he change? And what does this mean? Look, the guys at CNBC, I know they don't know the answers to any of these questions, but Shouldn't they at least ask them in case somebody else does? I mean, don't they have enough brains to ask these questions, let alone, yeah, they don't know the answers, but come on. There are a lot of questions that this raises. And to me, again, you know, it, they're just whistling past the graveyard. This is yet another sign, the writing on the wall that is being completely ignored uh, so that they can keep on uh, cheerleading uh, this bubble economy and this bubble stock market. Before I move on, I want to take a minute again to thank our sponsor, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. I've teamed up with Raycon and they're offering a 15% discount off their already low price when you buy your pair at buyraycon.com slash gold. Look, these things arrived in the mail from me. I got sent a free sample and my seven-year-old son, Preston and I, who was so excited uh, to get these earbuds. In fact, I've got to fight with him now because he, he always wants to use them. But we did our own comparison because I had already purchased a far more expensive pair of wireless earbuds. I won't say the brand, but they're really good. And they were a lot more expensive than these Raycon earbuds. And my son Preston and I did the test, and neither one of us could tell the difference. I mean, Raycon earbuds weren't any better, but they certainly weren't any worse. They were both great. But the big difference is the Raycon earbuds were a fraction of the price. So I like a value, just like Warren Buffett likes value stocks. I like a bargain, and these earbuds are definitely a bargain. And in fact, they're easy to use. I set them up real quick, and they're so easy even my seven-year-old son was able to figure out how to use them. The problem is figuring out how to keep them away from them so I can have them for myself. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during a video call. The company was actually founded by Ray J. A lot of celebrities like Snoop Dogg are obsessed with Raycons. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as the top audio brands you know. The newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. So get the latest and the greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash gold. That's buyraycon.com slash gold to get 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash gold.
Now, as I predicted on my Saturday podcast, the uh, Bitcoin community didn't waste any time in exploiting the Warren Buffett buy of uh, Barrick Gold to tout Bitcoin, right? And the narrative is Buffett is buying gold first, next he's going to buy Bitcoin. After all, he had negative comments about gold and changed his mind. And so the next thing he's going to do is change his mind about Bitcoin and so buy Bitcoin. And the other narrative was, hey, Buffett is going to drive a lot of investors into gold and therefore more people will buy Bitcoin instead of gold. And so you should buy Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the faster horse. And in fact, CNBC gave as much coverage, maybe more coverage to the rise in Bitcoin on Monday as they did to the rise in gold. And in fact, I was listening to some of these anchors who admitted that they bought Bitcoin. I mean, they didn't buy any gold, uh, but they bought Bitcoin because they think they're buying an inflation hedge. I mean, obviously, these uh, Bitcoin promoters did a good job in conning uh, some of these uh, anchors, uh, you know, on, on CNBC into buying Bitcoin. In fact, you know, that is going to be one of the real sad stories of this whole collapse is that so many people who actually did read the writing on the wall, who saw a dollar crisis coming, and they just bought fool's gold instead of real gold. And instead of uh, preserving their wealth and profiting, they're going to be just as broke as everybody else. In fact, maybe even more broke. But the reality is, it doesn't make any sense. If you want to follow the lead of Warren Buffett, you don't buy Bitcoin. Buffett did not buy any Bitcoin. He bought a gold stock. He didn't buy a Bitcoin stock. So the fact that Warren Buffett is bullish on gold doesn't mean he's bullish on Bitcoin. If he was bullish on Bitcoin, he'd have bought Bitcoin. But he's not bullish on Bitcoin. He called Bitcoin rat poison squared. He's not going to change his mind about that, right? He thinks there's inflation. What he's done is he's decided that since there's going to be more inflation in the future than there was in the past, that just buying a regular business is not a good enough hedge. At this point, he wants to buy a gold stock because he wants to have a better hedge against inflation. And he knows that the world is going to move towards gold. They're not going to move towards Bitcoin. Yes, will a few of the millennials, will a few Bitcoin bugs move into Bitcoin? Yes, temporarily, maybe until the bottom drops out and the market crashes. Warren Buffett doesn't want any part of that bubble, of that uh, pyramid scheme. And neither does anybody else, right? If anybody else in the investment industry wants to follow Warren Buffett, they're not going to buy Bitcoin because he didn't buy any. So that is the trade. The, the Bitcoin committee is trying to somehow morph this into some kind of buy signal for Bitcoin. It's a buy signal for gold. It's a buy signal for gold stocks, but it's not a buy signal for Bitcoin. I mean, if you actually want to profit off of what Buffett's doing, then do what Buffett is doing. Don't speculate on what you think he may do because that's just wishful thinking. There's no real sound basis to believe that Buffett will ever buy Bitcoin when there's a lot of reasons to believe that he never will. And neither will other institutional investors who want to emulate Warren Buffett. I mentioned on uh, Saturday that this is a green light. This allows other institutions to wade into gold stocks without looking foolish and without having to explain why they did it if it doesn't work out. But it doesn't green light anybody to go into Bitcoin. And any manager who is foolish enough to put 
client money into Bitcoin is going to have a lot to answer for when the bubble bursts and the investment uh, goes bad. Now, yes, Bitcoin did rally uh, as a result of the surge in gold yesterday and the surge in gold stocks. It finally got above 12,000. Uh, it got, let's see what the high was. It got up to almost 12,500. The high I'm looking at here is 12,473. Uh, and then it pulled back, but you know it only dipped below 12,000 a little bit. I think it went down about 11,800 and change. As I am recording this podcast, we're back above 12,000 again, almost at 12,100. But keep all this in perspective. Bitcoin didn't make a new high. It didn't blow back through 14,000 or through 20,000. It's still 12,000, right? Gold is over 2,000. So this is all a bunch of noise as this bubble is deflating. Bitcoin is not making a new high and the price of Bitcoin can implode at any minute. We already know that without any kind of uh, indication, the price of Bitcoin can drop 10 to 20% during any random five minute period of time. That is the risk that you're taking. And what you also are taking the risk that it doesn't bounce back. I mean, yes, the last few times that Bitcoin has been clobbered in one of those five minute shellackings, it comes back. But look, this has been a massive Bitcoin pump. It's not only gold 2000 that has helped pump it up. Now it's Warren Buffett buying gold. And so the idea that Buffett's going to buy Bitcoin next and institutions are going to go into both gold and Bitcoin. But you also have this huge ad buy, this media blitz uh, by Grayscale. You know, the guys that did the drop gold campaign are now out there with another ad. I saw this thing probably three or four times today, uh, the ad on CNBC. It's running on other networks as well. Uh, and I read articles that Grayscale just had like its best week uh, of investors pouring money into their closed-end fund, paying 2% for the privilege of owning cryptocurrencies, 2% per year to own a cryptocurrency that they can own for free. Just open up an account, Coinbase, and it costs nothing. Uh, but people are buying it uh, on in their stock accounts and they're paying a grayscale 2% a year to babysit their cryptocurrency. Now, I guess in the end of the day, it doesn't matter when all of it's worthless anyway. Uh, I guess, you know, it's probably better to give your money to Siebert than uh, giving it to the market. But either way, you're giving it to somebody because you're not going to keep it. But my point is you have this massive ad campaign that's also helping to drive demand into uh, Bitcoin and Ether and other of the, the cryptocurrencies. So that's what's driving the price up. But what people should ask themselves is why isn't it going up more? Why is Bitcoin stalling out at 12,000? Why isn't it at 20,000? Why isn't it at 25,000 or 50,000 or 100,000? After all, all of these Bitcoin pumpers, every time they're interviewed, they have these pie in the sky uh, recommendations. You know, I've never once heard somebody say when they interview somebody on Bitcoin, all right, well, where's Bitcoin going to be in a year? They never pick a number that's 10% higher or 20% higher. So nobody thinks that Bitcoin is going to give you a 10% return. They always, they always think it's going to go up five times, 10 times, right? Everybody who's recommending Bitcoin has some pie in the sky, short-term price target, and it never goes there. I mean, it went there in 2017 during the, the, the blow-off phase of the mania. But ever since then, none of these pie-in-the-sky uh, projections and outrageous price targets have ever panned out, not once. Yet it doesn't stop 
everybody from repeating them or the media believing it. They let these guys come on and make these pie in the sky uh, predictions and they don't they don't get called out. So why isn't Bitcoin giving all the hype, all the promotion, everything that's going on? Why isn't it at 20,000? Probably because it's never going there. Right. If all this can't drive it there, nothing will. Who is selling Bitcoin and who is going to buy from these sellers once the new buyers run out? Because believe me, the sellers still have a hell of a lot of Bitcoin that they want to unload. And eventually there won't be enough buyers and the bottom's going to drop out of this market. I want to switch gears, though, and finish up by talking a little politics. You know, the Democratic National Convention started last night. And um, of course, it's all virtual now, and they're having a second night today. And so really, it was like a big infomercial, right? You had uh, one uh, person after another. You know, it was hosted by Ava Longoria. She was like the MC, you know, master of ceremony. And they had, um, you know, one Democrat. I think the, the, the final speaker, the keynote was Michelle Obama. But they had Bernie Sanders on. I think AOC is going to be on, uh, on today. But Bernie Sanders, uh, there were some other uh, big people. And basically, all they talked about was how awful Donald Trump is, right? Criticizing Donald Trump for some legitimate reasons, but mostly illegitimate reasons. But about what a lousy president he is, what a horrible job he's done. And really, like, they don't, they're, they're like, look, we don't want to blame him for the COVID 19, but it's way worse because of him, right? That, you know, everything would be so much better if it wasn't for Donald Trump, like that he totally screwed up uh, the virus. And so we need to have uh, Biden in there because he's going to make everything better, right? He's going to solve all of our problems. Biden is like a panacea. He is like the miracle cure. All we need is, you know, a glass of Joe Biden and we just got to drink it and he's going to make all the problems go away. We're going to have a just society. Uh, all of this systemic racism is going to go away. By the way, you know, COVID-19 is also racist because apparently um, a higher percentage uh, of African-Americans are dying of COVID relative to their uh, their percent of the population. And so it's obviously because of racism. Somehow the disease is racist or President Trump's response to the disease is racist. But don't worry, um, Biden is going to come in and he is going to fix this, right? Everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be great if we can only elect Biden, except Biden has been in Congress his entire life. If he wasn't in Congress, he was the vice president, but he has been in the federal government pretty much his entire life. What has he done? Nothing. Has he done anything to make anybody better off? No, he hasn't done anything. He's not going to do anything differently as president. Nothing is going to change. In fact, things will change. They're going to get worse. In fact, that was one of the things that uh, Michelle Obama said. She said, hey, if you think things can't get worse, you're wrong. They can. That's the one thing I agree with her on. They can get worse and they will, but they're going to get worse regardless of the outcome of this election. But the reality is they're going to get even worse if Biden wins than if Trump gets reelected. Um, so this really is an embarrassing display. Um, you know, it really makes you embarrassed to be an American just to listen to this nonsense. I mean, I, I mean, I listen to it almost like, you know, you, you know, you, you, you look at a traffic accident, right? I mean, you really should look at it, but you can't help yourself. So that's how I'm looking at this. I mean, it's so bad, but I kind of got to watch it. And of course, you know, I want to talk about it a little bit on my podcast. So for that reason, I got to watch it. But I mean, it really makes you embarrassed to be an American 
uh, to listen to your fellow Americans, the, the sheer nonsense that they're spewing out at this uh, at this Democratic convention and, you know, and, and what these guys actually believe. But, you know, I'm probably going to be equally frustrated with the Republicans. You know, if they're going to talk about how great everything was under Trump and how Trump made America great and he can do it again, you know, that's going to make me just as nauseous, probably. I mean, it really is sad that there isn't one convention. I guess the libertarians, right? I don't know what they're doing. I mean, I'd probably agree with most of the stuff that they say. This The problem is, who cares? Because it's all irrelevant because their candidate isn't going anywhere, right? So you have a candidate that has no chance of winning. I mean, it's it's just like mental masturbation, but it's not really accomplishing anything to talk about it because the reality is we have two choices. You know, it's either going to be Biden or it's going to be Trump. But either way, it's the outcome is not good. You know, I was watching on CNBC and, you know, they're interviewing these Democrats and they're asking them, you know, because the Democrats want to raise taxes. We all know that they want to raise taxes. And so the question that they'll ask is, well, is now the right time for a tax hike? Because after all, the economy is weak right now, we're a recession. So really, is this the time to be raising taxes? And But the reality is, even if they don't raise taxes, the government spending has to be paid for. So you've got all these people that say, look, you know, the economy is weak, so the government has to spend all this money but now is not a good time to raise taxes. But spending money in and of itself counts as a tax hike. Whenever the government spends more money, it is raising taxes. Whether it actually raises them or not, it's still a tax. That's what Warren Buffett said. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Inflation is a tax. So basically what these you know guys on CNBC are saying is because the economy is weak, Now is not a good time to raise income taxes, so instead we should raise inflation taxes. But does that really make sense? I mean, if an economy is weak, does hitting it with an inflation tax really sound like a good policy? You see, when you understand that you don't get government for free, if the government is going to increase spending because we're in recession, that increased spending has to be paid for. It's paid for with a tax, and that tax is called inflation. Now, it's just that we have been spared the brunt of that tax because we've exported the dollars to the rest of the world by virtue of the dollar being the reserve currency. And because a lot of those dollars were recycled into our bond market and our stock market and our real estate market, the inflation bit up asset prices and made us feel richer instead of consumer good prices that would make us poorer. Well, all of that is about to change. And again, none of these people are asking this question. How much is all this government spending going to cost us? And in what form are we going to pay the bill? Because what we need now, what these guys should be saying on CNBC, is we need to cut government spending. I mean, if you acknowledge that the economy is too weak for taxes, that we can't afford higher taxes, then we can't afford more government spending, right? When the economy is really strong, then maybe we can afford to give more money to government. Maybe we, you know, we, we're such a strong economy, we have so much extra income that we can give some of it to the government to waste. But it's when the economy is weak that you can least afford to bear that burden, right? If you're in really good shape and you know you've got a you know a, a pack of weights on your back, maybe you can run the race and still do okay with the extra weight because you're in great shape. 
But if you're in lousy shape and, you know, you're huffing and puffing and wheezing and you get all these problems, uh, you know, you got to get rid of that weight because you could barely make it without the weight, let alone the extra weight. So what these guys should be saying who really believe the economy is in too weak a shape to, to afford a tax cut, a tax hike, the economy is in too weak a shape to afford more government spending. They act like this government spending helps the economy. Where does the government get the money to spend? It has to take it out of the economy and then it has to put it back in. So again, I've used this analogy before, but it's like giving yourself a blood transfusion from your right arm to your left arm and spilling half the blood on the floor. How does that help? It doesn't. So what these guys should be talking about and what they should be asking these politicians is how are you going to reduce the size of government? How are you going to cut government spending to free up resources so the economy can grow? The economy is weak. We're in a lot of trouble. What are you politicians going to do to ease the burden of government? How are you going to cut taxes? How are you going to repeal regulations? The patient is dying. He needs some relief. The only relief the government can supply is to make itself smaller so that it is a lighter burden and so the economy uh, can move forward without being dragged down by the extra burden of having to pay for government. But no, all they want is more government spending and they want money printing to pay for it as if none of this money printing has consequences. It has big consequences. Warren Buffett knows that there are drastic consequences to this money printing. That is why he bought Barrick Gold. Yet nobody is asking these questions. Why did he buy Barrick Gold? What does this mean? And should you be buying it too? Well, I am not only asking the questions, I'm answering the questions. I know why Warren Buffett bought Barrick Gold. He knows why he bought it. It's obvious. Just watch that video clip that I put up on uh, Instagram. But what you need to do is you need to do what Warren is doing. Not because Warren is doing it, but because Warren is doing the right thing. I've been telling people to do the right thing long before Warren got around to figuring it out, but he's figured it out. And obviously my clients are already positioned. We've already got the type of portfolio that maybe Warren Buffett is trying to accumulate, but you know, obviously he can't because you know he can't move that quickly. He's got huge stakes in these companies. But I think Warren, not only is he likely to want to have more gold stocks, I think he wants to have more foreign stocks. I think he can read this writing. He knows where the dollar is headed. And he knows that the real money in businesses that he likes to buy, the best businesses that he could buy now are not in the United States. These are foreign businesses. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see uh, more acquisitions uh, from Berkshire outside the United States. But in the meantime, don't wait for the disclosures. Act now. Obviously, if you're one of my clients and you're already fully invested, just sit tight uh, and realize that you've done the right thing, right? And you just you just did it early, but you did the right thing. But if you're just finding out about me, if you're just a new listener to the podcast, um, then you got to act. Don't wait. You know, don't think, oh, I can't buy gold now. It's over $2,000. Look, $2,000 may look cheap uh, a few years from now. In fact, it probably will look cheap. In fact, I don't think we're going to get significantly below $2,000 again. And in fact, I think once we get above $2,100 and close above $2,100, we may never go below $2,000 again. This may be as cheap, really, as gold ever gets. So buy it, buy some silver, buy some foreign stocks, get out of the dollar, talk to the brokers at Europe Pacific Capital, talk now before it's too late. Use your dollars to buy foreign assets, 
foreign businesses, gold, gold stocks before they don't have enough value uh, to buy anything of any substantial meaning uh, with respect to your net worth. So you want to preserve your wealth now while you still have it. You want to get rid of your dollar claims because that's what gets wiped out to inflation. Yes, if you have debt, well, the debt gets wiped out. But that means if you own that debt, if that liability is your assets, then you get wiped out. And if you don't want to get wiped out, you need to act now. Thank you.